Thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about how lives are changed. And if that's you, let us know and send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. Today, we are closing out a series called Fast Forward. We've been in the series since the beginning of the year. And, you know, the whole reason we started this series, and I wanted to start the year with the series, because in so many ways, forward is the message of our church. That regardless of where you're at right now, where you stand today, where you've been, we want to help you move forward into everything God has for you. you. You might feel like maybe some things have been a struggle, maybe you're not where you want to be, but I really believe that just by coming here this morning, this one hour of church can actually serve to move you forward into everything that God has for you and everything he's calling you into and his plans and purposes for your life and If you're just joining us for the first time today, it might surprise you that in a series called Fast Forward, we've been staying in the same passage, just two verses. Because so much of our life, our culture is wired to think that the the way to advance and the way to accelerate is by consuming as much as we can in the shortest amount of time possible. Like that's efficient. But what we're learning in this series is that one of the best ways to move forward is by staying planted. Man, I'm just in my introduction, I'm already preaching to you. If you really wanna move forward, one of the best things you can do is stay planted. That's true in your career, it's true in your relationships, it's true in your leadership, and it's true for church. And so we're, we're looking at this and we're talking about this, this idea of faithfulness in small things. And so we've spent this entire series of messages in just two verses Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. And we're gonna go there again today. And I'm hoping that just by being in the series, you're seeing how rich the word of God is. You know, I don't know, maybe you started the year with some ambitions that you were gonna read through the Bible this year. And here we are at the end of January and you are struggling just to make it to the verse of the day. I wanna tell you, even that's progress. Even that's progress. The, the, the thing I'm hoping you see in this series is that God can do a lot with just a little. He really can. In fact, that is his specialty. You see it all through scripture. You remember this one time there was this widow. She was in incredible debt, so much debt that she was about to sell her sons into slavery. That was a normal thing back then if you couldn't pay off your debt. It wasn't really her choice. She wasn't wanting to do that, but that was the only option. She went to the prophet who represented God. She said, prophet, I need your help. He said, what do you have in your house? She said, I don't have anything except a little bit of oil. See, God always wants you to participate in your miracle. She said, I just have a little but God can do a lot with a little. In the New Testament, there were the disciples, they were following Jesus and Jesus was preaching. He was preaching this like 12 hour seminar and the crowds were gathering around them, over 5,000 people, which is why I don't understand why some people don't want a big church because Jesus had masses following him and the disciples said to him, they said, Lord, you've been teaching a long time, we should send the people away. You know, they're getting hungry. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said, we, we don't have anything. Well. All we have is five loaves and two fish, which we stole from this little boy. He said, that'll work. I can do a lot with just a little. 
You know, even all the miracles that Jesus did where he was healing people and casting out demons and working all these miracles, the disciples would see, they'd, they'd see that he would say something and it would happen. And they would say, Lord, but we want faith like yours. Show us how this happens. He said, you don't need, you don't need great faith if you have just a little bit of faith, just faith the size of a mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and it would be done. It's, it's not, you don't need something big. God can do a lot with a little. That's what I'm trying to show you, and he really can't. Just one small step in the right direction. God can use that. And so I don't know what your life has looked so far this year. Like, like maybe you thought that you'd be further along by now doing a series called Fast Forward. Maybe you thought this would be a reset or a fresh start and you look at your life and it seems like you're three steps back from where you started. I wanna tell you just the fact that you are in church today. God can use, that's progress. God's gonna use it today. So I wanna get into this message and what I'm gonna share with you may seem really simple in its presentation, but I'm telling you, it is powerful in its application. I, I think if this is the only message you came to this year, this is the only service, this is the only message you heard, if you will put this into practice, it'll change the whole direction of your life. That's how much I believe in this. It's something very powerful that God taught me a long time ago and I was excited about the opportunity to teach it. I knew I wanted to save it for the end of this series and we're, you're, we're gonna learn it together today. We're gonna continue where we've been the last three weeks now since the beginning of the year, fourth week. If you have your Bibles, you better know where we're at. If not, there is no help for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. We're gonna read it together. I'm gonna read it. You can follow along. We'll put it on the screen. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We've come a long way in this series. We've started by learning how to throw some things off, cast off some weights and restraints, things that are hindering us and tripping us up, we learned how to serve through our setbacks and continue moving forward. We learned last week how to fix our frame, and today I'm gonna to talk to you about how to maintain your momentum. I'm calling this message today, Protect Your Progress. Protect Your Progress. It's always my custom to pray. Would you bow your head with me as we go before the Lord in prayer? God, I thank you so much for your word today. God, I ask that you would use me. God, breathe afresh on this word. God, let it be personal to each person here. Speak the word to them they need to hear exactly as they need to hear it. Help me communicate your truth, God. I know you will. We believe it, we receive it, and everybody who agrees with this can say, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you struggle with New Year's resolutions? Just be honest, struggle with New Year's resolutions? I was asking my wife this. She said, I don't struggle with New Year's resolutions. I just don't make them. I don't believe in them. Don't do them. But um, you struggle with New Year's resolutions. Or could you say, like, I struggle developing a new habit? Does anybody, I just see your hands. You struggle, like, developing new habits. I think if you didn't raise your hand, you're probably a liar. Because I think at some point, all of us struggle with, it's not making 
the commitment, it's maintaining it. I mean, if we didn't struggle with this, there wouldn't be an entire industry to help people change, whether you're talking about a diet, whether you're talking about going to the gym and personal training or self-help books or any of that, and I'm not down on any of that stuff. I'm just saying, if we didn't struggle keeping the change, there wouldn't be this entire industry. It's not making the commitments that's hard for us, it's maintaining the commitments. And that's not just a challenge for us, it's really exactly what's going on in the book of Hebrews. Now, to understand the book of Hebrews, what you gotta understand is that the writer, the author of Hebrews is writing to some people who were wavering in their faith. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong impression that these were just like flaky Christians, they made half-hearted commitments, that's not the case here. You, you gotta know that these people were being persecuted, that they were suffering for Jesus, and I don't mean they were fasting. You know, like sometimes you're like, I'm suffering for Jesus, I gave up carbs. No, you are just trying to get healthy, let's be honest. They, they, they weren't just, you know, trying to lose weight. <laughs> they, they, they were at risk of losing their homes. They were at risk of losing their families, their children, their relatives. They were at risk of losing their lives. They, 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 they were going through intense persecution and I'm not trying to equate the stuff that we go through today with what they go through, but I just want you to try and imagine how tempting it would have been to give up on the commitments that they made. It wasn't easy, and I'm definitely not down on them because I feel like I give up so easily. I, I really do. I mean, the moment I don't see my progress, the, the, the moment things get hard, I'm like, I'm out. I got something else I can do. I, I, I mentioned this the first week, like, I don't like running. I hate running, and that's a problem because my little daughter Pippa, she's three years old, turning three in just a few weeks, uh, her, her new favorite game is called race. It's exactly what you think it is. She says, Dad, I, I wanna race. I don't know where she came up with this. When she first told me that, I tried casting demons out of her. I was like, look, look, girl, we're Jenkins. We don't do this. We don't run for fun. This is not in our DNA, but she wants to play this game called race, and the way it works is, you know, we line up on one side of the room, we run all the way through this room, through the hallway, into the other side of, of her room. It's called race, and, and uh, you know, I, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know, like, I just don't let my kids win. I wanna teach them about real life, you know? But I, I also, like, I, I wanna give her a chance, so, you know, like, I'll give her a head start because I'm a good, good father. I knew that. It's who I am. So I, so I let her do this and, and, and we're running. But you know, it's like she's always picking the finish line. Like she'll run, she'll say, I win before we've even got to the end point. And the, the thing is, like I was ready to just give in to buying her a Barbie dream house like after the second time. But 30 times into it, I'm like, I'm done, I'm out. And it's not because I'm tired. It's not because I'm exhausted. It's because I don't enjoy it. I don't. I, I don't enjoy it. And that's really, you think about it, that's the reason that we stop anything. We might not use those words. We, we might say it's become inconvenient. We might stop because it's become painful. We, we might stop because it's become boring. It's no longer a priority. But however you wanna boil it down, the primary reason we won't endure it is because we don't enjoy it. And this is the fundamental thought that I want you to grab today, is that you won't endure what you don't enjoy. 
If you grasp this, it will change your life. You won't endure what you don't enjoy. Now, I gotta unpack this a little bit because the point of this message is not to do the things that make you feel good. If you live your life just based off what makes me feel good, you are gonna live a very self-centered and self-focused life. It is gonna be a very small life, a very narrow life, and a very unfulfilled life. I'm not saying just do whatever makes you feel good. For that matter, there's a lot of things that we have to do that aren't necessarily enjoyable. That, that's part of life. But the point I'm trying to make is that whatever you set out to do, you won't be able to endure it without joy along the way. That's what jumped out to me about the passage this week that I wanna share with you. Because the writer of Hebrews is talking, and he's talking about this race, something I don't like. And he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? There was nothing enjoyable about the cross. On the cross is where Jesus suffered. On the cross is where Jesus took upon himself our sin and our shame. On the cross is where he received our judgment. On the cross is where he was separated from the Father. How, how could he enjoy that? There was nothing enjoyable about it. And the truth of the matter is we don't even have to think abstractly about this concept. We know that there was impossible anguish because before Jesus ever went to the cross, when he was on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said these words. He, he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but your will. He didn't want to do this. It wasn't something that he was looking forward to. Yet, even in the next verse, verse 44 of Luke 22, it says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. There was nothing enjoyable about the cross. And yet Jesus had a joy that allowed him to embrace the pain and endure the punishment. Man, that's the opposite of me. I don't know about you. I would say it's the opposite of us. For, for so many of us, our circumstances become the barometer of our blessings. We're feeling good when things are going good. And the moment we're met with something where there's a little bit of pain, a little bit of grieving, a little bit of sorrow, a little bit of discomfort, inconvenience, it's not exciting, it's dull. The moment we're met with that, man, I'm out. So how can we, like Jesus, have a joy that is outside of our circumstances? That's what I wanna know, that's what we're gonna learn today. And it's the key to protecting your progress in any endeavor, and maintaining your momentum with whatever God has called you to do. And maybe it's just me, but it seems like in our culture today, there is a pressure to feel pleasure. Am I alone in that? 
It's like there is something wrong with my life if I am not constantly happy. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's Instagram, Facebook, I don't know, seeing what everybody else is doing, but it seems like there's something wrong with me if I'm not happy all the time, and it's this pressure to feel pleasure that's part of what makes me feel miserable. <laughs> I mean, if you wanna feel miserable, just ask yourself, am I really happy? <laughs> start focusing on your happiness. You're gonna start feeling like you're coming up short. And so we chase this feeling and we're running, but we're not running our race. We're, we're running after joy. We're running after happiness. We're running after pleasure. We're, we're running after this feeling. And what I want you to see today is that joy is a feeling. It is absolutely a feeling. Sometimes we talk about it like it's something outside of feelings, like it transcends this unemotional detachment from it. But joy is a feeling. But it doesn't start that way. Here's what I want to tell you, is that joy is a focus before it's a feeling. It is a feeling, but it's a focus before it's a feeling. And so much of Hebrews 12 is spent trying to help people adjust their outlook rather than realize their outcome. And that's strategic because you can't always control your circumstances. You can't always control the result. You can't always control how things play out, but you can always adjust your perspective. But what we're to focus on probably isn't what you think because, I mean, I've grown up in church and I know church people and if you're listening to this message, you probably think, well, I know exactly what the answer is, PJ. Like, I've been coming here for four weeks now. We've been looking at this verse. I know exactly what you're gonna tell me. We read this verse. It says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, that's it. We're supposed to focus on Jesus. I knew you were gonna say that. No, that's not, exact, that's not where I'm going. There's something else that stood out to me that I wanna share with you because it says fixing our eyes on Jesus. One translation says looking unto Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, here's what caught my attention. It's not we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. I wanna know what Jesus did. How, how was it that he was able to endure something in which there was absolutely no joy, there was absolutely no pleasure coming from it, and yet he had a joy set before him? It's this word, before, that, that, that's the word I wanna talk about. This word before isn't talking about pre, like something that happened in the past. What it means is, is in your line of sight. It means to be present and at hand. The, the, the joy that was presently in front of him. You see, your joy comes from your present focus. He didn't find joy in the event. He didn't find joy in the pain. His joy came from what he was focusing on. And see, I learned a long time that you can't always choose your feelings, but you can always choose your focus. I wanna show it to you in another place. Uh, there's another guy, James, he wrote around the same idea. 
he said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Like, consider it pure joy seems antithetical to trials and tribulations. I, I would understand it if he said, hey, consider it helpful or consider it necessary or consider it valuable. But when he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face various trials, trials of many kinds, that seems contrary to everything I think about a trial. And I'm glad he said trials of many kinds. <laughs> because like if he didn't, I would have given every excuse as to why my trial exempts me from considering it joy. Am I alone in this? Like, like maybe it's like, hey, you don't understand. Like, you know, this, like the devil is really attacked. Like this is not of God at all. Like this is satanic. Or maybe it's like, hey, I, like this is my own dumb decision. Like there's nothing to be joyful about in this. I made a mistake and now I'm paying the consequence. Like I could think of every reason as to why my trial that I'm going through should exempt me from considering it joy. But that's not the case with Jesus. When you look at Jesus, what he went through on the cross, I mean, this was his mission. And when you look at his mission, his mission was hard. His mission was painful. It wasn't just the pain of actually being on the cross. Think about the fact that there were these people that he invested in that left him, that betrayed him. There's no joy to be found in this. And yet there's something that drove him to endure. I want to find out what it is. Sometimes, you know, like in the church world, we have these cute little sayings. You know, we say things like happiness is based on happenings, but joy is found in Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? I probably preached that, like, but that's good. That's great. But I don't know that it's necessarily true. I mean, I, I get what you're trying to talk about, distinguishing a joy that's found in Christ from happiness that's found in the world, but I think it's worth pointing out that in the Bible, happiness and joy are really the same word. You want to know, know what joy means in Scripture? You look it up, it means supremely happy. <laughs> same thing in English. You want to know what happiness means in Scripture? It means being glad or being joyful. Sometimes you try and make this distinction that's not there. They're, they're really the same word. And so what is it that we need to focus on? Because I think we try and like distinguish these things and it robs us of really understanding this gift. And I want you to understand that joy is a feeling. It is absolutely a feeling. It is a feeling, but it doesn't start there. It's a focus before it's a feeling. So what do we focus on? Well, I'll tell you what we don't. We can't focus on everything else around us. So many times we're looking at our life compared to somebody else. What are they thinking? What are they doing? How do they feel about me? How good is my life compared to their life? How do, how do they feel about me? How, how successful am I compared to them? We, we focus on what everybody else is doing. That's why I'm glad the writer of Hebrews said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So here, here's the key. You gotta stay in your lane. 
Right now, you should just look at that person you have always wanted to say this to. Just stare them in the eyes, stare into their soul, and just tell them, stay in your lane. You got to stay in your lane. You, you got you to run what God has marked out for you. That's good advice. But the reason a lot of us don't feel joy is because we're focused on somebody else's race. I want their life. I wish I had their influence. I bet their husband doesn't do that. I bet their wife doesn't do that. I wish I had a husband. I wish I had a wife. Man, I bet his job or her job must be easy. I was focusing on somebody else's life, somebody else's race. And you can't be looking around and expecting to have joy from somebody else's scoreboard. Your joy comes from your race. You can't judge your situation according to somebody else's calling. Judge your gifting according to somebody else's talent. Ju judge your influence and your impact according to somebody else's platform. It's what God has called you to do. You gotta run your race. Nothing will destroy your joy like comparison. There are so many of us, we're getting destroyed by distraction because we're looking every place else except what God has set before us. We look beside us, we look behind us. I like one translation that says, Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, ignoring the shame. It means he didn't even regard it. Didn't even give it any attention. And so many times what robs our joy is the pain of our past. We're looking to things that happened back then and as to why we can't, have joy in our future. But joy only comes when I begin to focus on what God has put in front of me in this moment. In this moment. The joy set before him. I had this picture in my head of like setting a table. We're trying to get our kids, you know, learn them, have them help out and participate at home, setting the table. And, you know, it's all about making sure they get the things in the right spot. But when it's set before you, it doesn't mean it's like, you know, five feet in front of you. Sometimes we don't have joy because we're focusing on something way off in the future. I'll be happy one day when. Once that comes, once this changes, wishing our life away. And I'm, I'm all for dreaming, planning, strategizing, and thinking about the future. But I'm telling you, your joy comes from what you focus on presently. Presently. Here's the last thing I wanna leave you with is that joy isn't felt when pain is absent, but when purpose is present. See, joy is not the absence of sadness. It's not the absence of pain because Jesus had it on the cross. Scripture says that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And so many times we're waiting for like our lives to be pain-free problem-free, sorrow-free, grief-free before we can feel happy, before we can have joy. But this was helpful for me because joy is a feeling. Joy is feeling happy. But joy doesn't come when pain is absent. It comes when purpose is present. Joy comes from knowing that God has a plan for my life. God has a purpose for my life. 
See, Jesus doesn't offer you a pain-free life, a problem-free life. He offers you a purpose-filled life. And that's what I want to invite you to this morning. I want to invite you to purpose. Purpose. 